following podcast may contain a shitload of popular profanity. Live from Mighty Trapdoor Mansion, high atop Tent Hill, it's We Talk Games Video Power Magazine, featuring Frank Hemblin, Horace Pengrove, William Bentley III, with Stinky the Game Master, T.T. Schmootkins, Tishka Honeypot, Alex Greenspan, and Cut Cockbirth! And now we talk games! We talk games! Here it comes! Yeah! We talk games! Bullshit and energy! It's always rebels on top, baby! But we keep the format anyway! T.T. Schmook is a robot sex bot Stinky stinks so bad he smells We take turns choosing the games that we review Even Mario's Hotel! Come on, characters, nobody likes you! Let desire fuel your confidence! So we talk games arcade weekly the fifth and final installment of our month-long holiday haymakers all December long, we've been discussing the gems and one-third of the arcade beat-em-up genre. If you've missed any, make sure you go back, check them out, www.wetalkgames.com. Click on the episode tab and check out this month's roster of games, as well as previous months. We talk arcade games each and every week, right here on We Talk Games Arcade Weekly. I'm Kyle Von Kubik, and joining me is the captain to my tenille, John E. Capcom. How's it going? What's the matter? John, the holidays are over. You should be stoked. New Year's right in front of us. A new beginning. Yeah, man. That's that's cool. I'm looking forward to being 30. (laughs) Mike Fritz in the booth. (laughs) Yo. All right. It's just uh, you and me. Tag team in the show again. Stinky evidently ate $70 worth of plastic poinsettias. So Wiggly brought him to the free clinic. But uh, they they, uh, they they sent along a uh, cassette tape for the uh, making mechanics on side A and on side B is the pro player tip. So we'll play that a little later. Yeah, plastic princesses. What did you say? Uh, plastic poinsettias. What? You know those red flowers for the holiday? Do you have plastic in Ireland? Poinsettias. Poinsettias. You just said plastic flowers, man. Nobody knows what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm pretty sure a lot of people know what a poinsettia is. Yeah, maybe in New York or <laughs> Okay, John, are you ready to throw out your official, non-denominational We Talk Games Holiday Haymaker Advent Calendar? Uh, yeah. Uh, we're going to open up that last door and find out uh, which arcade brawler we're talking about this week. Yeah, it's, it's sad. I mean, it's, it's thematic. When I opened on the 25th. <laughs> Christmas Day, there was just a picture of Steve Perry standing beside some dumpster. <laughs> get over it, okay? <laughs> but uh, it'll be sad to say goodbye to 2014. It was a very cool and weird year. While we're on the subject, I gotta. But look, uh, we're all stuck in the past anyway, so it doesn't it's matter. True. It's true. 
2014, fantastic year for me because We Talk Games came back on the regular. I got married to my best friend. John came over from Ireland and stayed with me for several days. I rescued a dog who, uh, you know, is just a, a ray of sunshine covered in fur running around my house. I got to say, 2014 has been a tremendous year for me, and I hope it's been a tremendous year for all of you. And I hope, if anything, this podcast weekly has uh, been there for you when you needed a laugh and you wanted to have a good time certainly man the the feels (laughs) oh yeah no uh happy new year is what i'm getting at from all of us at we talk games tishka honeypot tt schmookins sneaky the game master and the other tertiary characters you hear on the regular yeah like eric (laughs) we gotta get eric back on the show starting the hashtag bring back eric (laughs) let's do it it was the gorgeous jimmy garvin to our fabulous freebirds i like the analogy as a part of our final installment of Holiday Haymakers is Gaia Polis. Apolis. Gaia Gaia Apolis. I love when arcade games try their best to uh, make your tongue have a stroke. This is 1993 from Konami. It's a vertical, you heard me right, vertical beat-em-up. Now, this orientation of screen is normally reserved for our shooters, or shmups, as some call them. The game probably most likely we've played in the last while. Very similar in the way it looks and plays to games like Shop Troopers. (laughs) It's very similar in the way it looks and plays to games like Shop Troopers and Mercs, if you remember that. You're jumping right into it, then. You know what? Let me uh, put this... uh cassette tape in uh, this play school tape recorder that was also sent along with it and we'll play hear school th- with a K yes and we'll, <laughs> yeah oh. oddly enough yes and we'll uh, we'll listen to this week's making mechanics testing one two three oh wait wait Eesh. Making mechanics for Gaiopolis or Gaiopolis. I'm thinking that this is coming from the Greek goddess of Earth, which would be Gaia or Gaia. But usually the Japanese would spell that G-A-E-A, although illusion of Gaia. Well, anyway, uh, but if it is a Vietnamese word for resolution, then it would be Gaiopolis or Jaiopolis. But I'm thinking it's Gaiopolis. Let's start with the making mechanics for Gaiopolis. I think you have to take it back to 1982, we had Frontline by Taito. And this was a shooter, and it might have even had some more interactive elements to it, but it featured you traversing a vertical play field, and this would eventually lead to similar shooting style games like Capcom's Commando in 1985, which was also called Wolf of the Battlefield, and Wolf of the Battlefield 2, or Mercs by Capcom in 1992. So 82 was Frontline. As far as Konami goes, Castlevania for the NES was released in 1986. Haunted Castle was the first Castlevania arcade game by Konami. That was released in 1988. And these, of course, were platformers, but they do have a tie-in in the fact that they have the same types of fantasy storyline and cutscenes like Gaiopolis. Capcom would release Ghouls and Ghosts, or Great Demon World Village, in the arcade in 1988. And I mention this because it had vertical as well as horizontal levels, even though it was a semi-shooter as well as a platformer. 
And this was, of course, the sequel to the 1985 Ghosts and Goblins, or Demon World Village. But as far as the most similar making mechanics, would come from Konami itself, in my opinion. 1986, Kiki Kai Kai, or Pocky Without Rocky, initially. Mysterious Ghost World. Although Kiki Kai Kai had projectiles, you could also do a fan strike on your opponents, and it was a vertical action game with end bosses. East was released by Falcom in 1987. This was a non-linear action role-playing game that had a bump-and-hit attack mechanism. And then, of course, Konami's Gaiopolis came out in 1993. Interestingly, also in 1993, Annex released Gaia Gensoki, which, of course, is records of the illusion of Gaia. And then in the East-West, we know it as Illusion of Gaia. In the West-West, we know it as Illusion of Time, I think, which wouldn't have anything to do with Earth. And that came out for the Super Famicom, and both have Gaia in their name. Illusion of Gaia was more of a traditional action role-playing game than a fantasy haymaker, but the Japanese version has some of the same dark underpinnings that we see in the story of Gaiopolis. And then, of course, Sega's Bare Knuckle 3, or Streets of Rage 3, came out in 1994, and I think that also shares some of the haymaker elements, although set in an urban scene. And Dick Van Dyke Show, 1961, and, of course, the Van Dyke beard from the 1620s Flemish painter, Anthony Van Dyke. And that's your making mechanics on cassette. exactly high fidelity but we get the point so yes definitely feeling shock troopers feel a mercs feel i felt that it was closest to in thematically it was closest to van dyke upl 1990 which you would think is about dodging um you know ottomans and not getting hurt but instead it's like this weird sort of mercs type game where you're a barbarian and it throws a bunch of shit at you I'm not a very big fan of the game, um, but thematically and screen orientation, it definitely hit that note for me. This is a high fantasy brawler with RPG type elements, albeit pretty shallow. Well, a game I played recently that it reminded me of was Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. I know you played that recently because I think I was there with you in person playing that game. You were indeed. I remember it had one button. (laughs) (laughs) This game is similar to that. To an extent, I guess we'll get into it. It is a three-button game. It's two-player simultaneous, three-button game, but John is correct in saying that, yes, it's majority just one button. I didn't dislike the essence of it. Mm. I liked where it was going. Some of the parts, I guess, is just a bit disappointing because it's very long extraordinary long and for the purposes of the show i'll be straight up i didn't finish this game oh me neither there's something i can't help but like about it though and that is the i can only put it in these not very um eloquent words of here's that thing you like in a different thing i felt the same way i was playing this game and i was like you know what this is like a a beefed up answer to legend of zelda by yeah. Konami. Basically what I'm playing, um, it's a fantasy action brawler game. It's not an RPG, but there is this leveling system and equipping weapons and shields, but it's very linear in that respect, so it's not like you can go back and grind. 
You know, and that's a big part of RPG games is being able to sit there and grind if you so choose to so you can get your character a couple steps ahead of the enemies you fight. That's not an opportunity you can do in this game. It's weird. It's got like the plunder of a D&D style game as well. Mm-hmm. The leveling up and the monsters and all that kind of stuff. But it, it almost does a little bit too much. Whereas like D&D uh, Shadow yeah. Over Towers or whatever those <laughs> games were called. Uh, the Capcom games, yes. they were just beating them up with these kind of uh, side dishes of uh, little pieces of D and D stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is kind of like it's important for you to level up, but it's important for you to uh, pick up items and get treasure and stuff. I mean, it's weird in that it seems to want to be a console game because it has a password system, mm-hmm. which is really rare it's for so an arcade game. Fucking long. Yeah, it's crazy long. Like. Uh, if you look it up on YouTube, there is a playthrough, and it's an hour and ten minutes. Right, and I believe that person's using cheats. They're throwing coins in every two seconds, like right. you know. Right. I don't know how you could beat this like back in the day. I mean, when you played like a twenty-minute game like Sunset Riders, it'd kick the living shit out of you. But if you had twenty minutes worth of money, you could probably beat it. Like yeah. this game. Nobody had an hour's worth of money. You might as well buy a fucking Neo Geo if you got money to waste like that. Well, it, what's funny about it, you touched on it too, it does have that vibe of this is a game that probably belonged on the console, and it did It did get a port to the Nintendo. Oh, um, really? Yes, but it's not the same game. I, I can't mean, imagine it could be. It, it is and it isn't, uh, and I don't want to get too much into it, but this would definitely have been a much better uh, Super Nintendo or Sega game where there were more RPG elements dumped into it, because I feel like this could have been... Hey, look, nobody was dethroning Legend of Zelda in the mid-90s as far as like a marquee franchise or Final Fantasy for more of that. Legend of Zelda, there's a big debate. You know, is it an RPG, isn't it? I don't think it is. I think it's an action game. But it definitely has, like, that exploratory feel about it. This game has exploratory feels as well as far as there are hidden rooms and there are hidden items. But the toe is only in that pool. They didn't go for the full plunge with it because it's an arcade game. The whole idea of it is to turn over the profit, get somebody in for as much money as you can take them for, and they're on their way. What makes the game of note is it's kind of a weird choice uh, to put this type of game on this platform, being an arcade game. I enjoyed it a lot as well. Although the uh, the RPG elements are extremely shallow, I think it's an enjoyable brawler. It, it's okay. I mean, <laughs> if it was 40 minutes shorter, it would be uh, a lot better of a game. Yeah. I think it like, holds up a lot better now that we're, you know, you can play it on MAME. Whereas I agree with you, this probably wouldn't be one of my favorite games. It's a game I enjoy, and I would definitely be on my like top 100 list, just not in my top 10, you know what I'm saying? But like the arcade, I agree with you. You can see why this game wasn't a huge smash success, because most people probably only got you know a dollar's worth of play, and a dollar's worth of play was probably only 15 minutes, if that, of this game. And so what are you seeing of this game? An eighth, maybe? A sixteenth of the game? Sad thing is, like, it would have been a huge hit on the Genesis. Yeah, definitely. You know, well, it has like, that fantasy star vibe, too, because you got the the high fantasy with the tanks and the airplanes and the magic being technology sort of hybrid. It's weird. It's got, like, an Adventure Time thing to it. Like, if, you, if anybody out there watches mm. Adventure Time, that's set in a post-nuclear Earth. 
Yes. Like a post-nuclear war on Earth. Is that ever uh, explicitly said? I mean, I've watched a few episodes. I know in the beginning intro, you see that. They do. They refer to it as the, the Great Mushroom War. Ah, okay. It's very tragic, actually, when you get into the heavy... Uh, I'm glad that cartoons are returning to an era of a little bit of darkness and a little bit of... Not even a little bit, but a lot of bit of of having the humor there so that way your 17-year-old stoner or your 33-year-old parent or your 7-year-old daughter can enjoy it at different levels. Yeah. And together, and you don't have to worry about the kid picking up some, like, I don't know, just gross social things. Like, I have a younger sister. 100% game talk, no filler. And <laughs> I'll sit down and I'll watch some of these, uh, you know, I'll watch regular show with her and Adventure Time with her. And I'd much rather her watch those cartoons, even though they have those sort of adult elements in them that are, are you know, funny to me at my level. Yeah. Because then I see her watch these things on, like, let's say Disney Channel, where it's like, you know, 12-year-olds acting like they're 19 I feel that that's a much worse message than yeah. the fucking wackiness of uh, Jake the dog. I'll never understand that particular thing in pop culture where, and it happened when, when we were kids, I'm sure, as well. Like, you know, where it's like, do you want to watch this cartoon or do you want to watch this drama about kids that is so unrealistic and might as well be calling the barbarian? <laughs> you know they've got all these issues when really the only issue I had to face as a child as I mentioned previously was being chased by a f- woman with a fork because of Alex's kid you know um, that's pretty dramatic yeah but I mean come on nobody would get half an hour of TV out of that like, no. this game it's very much of its time I believe 93 I remember in the Battle Circuit episode you guys were just like oh genocide John would like that <laughs> and you're right, I would have loved to have seen the genocide angle played out in Battle Circuit because I love when these games are inappropriate. Yes. The thing that made me crack up was how sexist this game was in a weird way. <laughs> it is. Like, you run into the Lord character, and he informs you of your quest that you have to go collect these five keys. And there is three characters. There's a dragon, oh, a yeah. man. Mm-hmm. Known as Prince, a- I think. Yeah, he's the human prince. is called Prince, and the dragon yeah, is called he's Dragon. A man, though. Yeah, yep. It, it's not Prince the symbol either. It's Prince, no. it's, and a girl fairy. And the Lord comes out and goes, "Oh, you must be the men who have come to help me. I'm so happy that you men arrived to solve all this. Go rescue my daughter. She's in hysterics over something a woman would be in hysterics over. You know. And when you get to the girl, Sadly, she goes, "Oh, this thank is all you." True. Yeah, she's like, thank you to all you men for rescuing me. Here's a piece of jewelry. (laughs) (laughs) I love stuff like that. Like, and because it's who made this is the question that comes up. Like, you know, a bunch of Japanese men. But it's their distillation of weird Western storytelling tropes that just makes it amazing. Like, you know, Um, I mean, when you watch like. it's quite on or something like that. You see, like pure fifties Japanese horror movie is very different right. to what would be a horror story over here. I mean, you read their books and watch movies made for Japanese audiences. Very different from what we would know as story structure. Mm. But in video games, they were thinking about the world, so right. they're going, "Oh, what are they like out in the West?" You know, 
<laughs> like, well, you know the way it is. The women give it a bit of the old nattering, so maybe we should put them in their place. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if this is necessarily true, but I'll play along with the theory. I have, you have to, to assume, imagine. right? It's just this weird, like, that's the thing that kind of confounds me as well, is where, like, there's a lot of, uh, and I believe welcome discussion about, like, gender mm-hmm. roles in video games these days. Like, I think there's a lot of deconstruction going on and stuff like that, and I think it's cool. I, I enjoyed the, the discussion. But I'm disappointed in that there's nobody taking a look at this era of video game storytelling and stuff. And just, but, like, having fun with it, because it really is... Completely it's ridiculous. ridiculous. Yes, exactly. You know? It's so camp, and I mean, I don't know if, if in the era we would feel this way, but now we definitely do. Uh, contemporarily, we we feel that it is so over the top and ridiculous and yeah. campy. You did touch on three characters. There is the human prince, the the fairy, and the dragon. They all play a little bit differently, but overall, like you said, it's a one button mash fest with your sword, which or your sword. Your batons, and the dragon has a sword as well, and you'll upgrade them along the way. If you play with two players and you beat certain bosses, they'll drop weapons either before or after the big boss battle that'll upgrade your shield and your sword. Again, very linear, 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 holy shit, linearly. Which, again, a little bit disappointing. I would have appreciated, like, picking up the gold and going to a store and buying it in between stages or something, which had been done prior to this game and after this game, but sadly it's not there. They all play pretty much the same. There is a magic attack, which is your third button that you can build up along the way and improve upon as you play through the game. And then the second button, what the hell does this button do? What does button two do? Well, along the way, there's eggs that you can grab, and they'll hatch commons that'll follow you around. There's three commons in total. This is what I think they are. You can correct me if you have a a different idea of what they are. I think it's a goblin in armor with a hammer. Yes. An armadillo and a a dragon or maybe what a worm. Like, it's a small dragon, right? It has wings, so it wouldn't be a worm. Okay. So a dragon and, you know, they're flying around me or they're walking around and they're following me. I'm like, what the hell, man? Like, fight these guys already. What are you doing? (laughs) Yeah, help me. I thought that's your purpose. Well, that's button two. You hit button two and each one of those commons does an attack in a different way. And those commons actually have more variety than the three main characters do. I don't see a huge difference between the three characters. It's pretty much of preference, how they fight or look. Uh, What's cool about the dragon is he suffers from the Todd McFarlane spawn cape syndrome, where his tail just fucking whips around like it's got a mind of its own, which is funny. It's kind of got that, like, Vector Man look about it. I enjoyed. I played as the the dragon. He does a a dash attack where he uh, spits fire onto the enemy, so that was cool. Why would you bother playing as the dude or the girl? It's true. You know, again, this is going back to what we discussed a couple weeks ago in an Alien vs. Predator game. Why are you playing as a human? In a high <laughs> fantasy game, if you have the option to play as a dragon or, as yeah. I like to call it, Lizard Man, I'm playing as a fucking yeah. Lizard Man. I like Lizard Man. I don't lizard know why. Man also gets in on a little bit of the old misogyny because they're going into the dark tunnel at one part in the game where they have to go through a cave and he turns to the female character and goes, you should put more clothes on. <laughs> yes! As- misogyny aside, the other thing of note in this game is it does have a repetitive nature about the gameplay, but there is a large variety of goons that you'll fight along the way and 
the stages, it's standard affair in the beginning, and then they get a little more sci-fi. You know, there's some of this cyberpunk being dumped in my high fantasy, and quite frankly, I like it. There's nice reflecting effects, and there's some awesome scale and scroll effects, particularly when you start the game. You're watching this large bird swoop in over the clouds, which is bringing you into the village where you start your first battle or your first stage. And I felt, again, going back to what we've discussed uh, all month long, very cinematic. They did a great job. And so impressive when you think 1993. The super effects chip can go fuck itself. Look at this game. This thing is incredible with what it was doing with, like, the scale and proportion and scrolling. It's a proprietary machine that was just designed to play this game. But still, it's its so impressive visually that I think it's worth playing. And the boss battles, I don't know if you feel the same way, but those were the highlights of oh, every yeah. stage. There are unique bosses right off the bat. I mean, I think it's the second or third stage. You fight what you think is just a tank, and it transforms into this mech with a beating heart in its chest and gear wheel knees. And it's a just, dragon mech. It's a dragon mech, yeah. The art in this game is super impressive. My favorite might be the four-armed minotaur. Mm, yes. Because I'm thinking, how do you fucking make a minotaur more badass? <laughs> Give him an extra pair of arms. Yeah, totally. I mean, even the little guys, the little baddies, their design is cool. Like, uh, early on, there's these sort of, like, giant hedgehog porcupine things that are coming out of, like, a statue's head. Yeah. It just changes it up. It, I'm not just fighting the same... You'll fight plenty of baddie goon knights along the way. Hoodies. <laughs> yes. Hoodies. <laughs> but they also throw in a little other elements into the mix or, or add a little bit of spice, uh, that variety that you need, so that it doesn't feel so monotonous. The problem with the game is it's so fucking long. I, yeah. I, it, I was like, I got to stop playing. I've been playing this for a full hour, and I don't even think I'm close to the end. It's a fucking marathon of a game, like... There's all the story going on in the middle of the levels as well, and it'd be one thing if it was a really unique, engaging story, okay? Mm-hmm. Which, I, as far as I'm concerned, it isn't. It's fairly standard. It's got it's some cool typical, ideas. It's typical, especially of the era, typical JRPG-type story. There is a guy who's going to destroy the world with the superpower. He's going to get the MacGuffin, and you got to stop him from getting the MacGuffin. And then, you know, there's a little bit of a plot twist, but it's not really a plot twist. It's just, you know, throwing shit against the wall because you got to put some sort of twist in there. It's not earth-shattering. That's why I feel like it's more action RPG or action fantasy than it is D&D RPG. Actually, there's a game that I think if you were wanting to play a proper version of this, like what this game probably should have been, mm-hmm. uh, I believe Beyond Oasis was the name on the Mega Drive. Okay, yes. Or I I'm think familiar. it was called like Atlantis or something over here. That is more of an action-y, beefed-up version of Zelda. Yes. And this is what this is as well, but like without the depth. Like, it's not a bad game. It's an interesting game. In some scenes, I'd say, they're kind of aping that kind of chunky Capcom style. Mm-hmm. But they don't quite get it. 
the color palette isn't quite as diverse as Capcom would uh, produce at that time as well. The, there's a nice color palette. Uh, it just lacks contrast. Your characters and enemies have the same color palette as the background. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It leaves it looking flat in certain stages. But overall, the artwork, I, I think, is very strong. It's just, yes, it's not as... It's, it all goes back to depth. Length or duration, it, do, it doesn't equal depth. I feel that it is interesting because of its choices. The choice to make it a vertical instead of a horizontal beat-em-up. Just doing research on this game. Credit a lot for having humongous sprites. It really doesn't. If you look in comparison to your character and the regular enemy's size to your horizontal beat-em-up, they're actually smaller. It just has this feel of being taller because you have less screen real estate to work with. The bosses, on the other hand, are humongous. These are bosses that, like, you know, you're playing R-Type and the boss takes up three-quarters of the screen. That's what you're dealing with in this game. Because of the orientation of the screen, you might only see the boss's legs for the entire battle. Yeah. The vertical presentation of it uh, almost gives it the feel of, like, a dungeon crawler as well. Yes, you know, like, I agree with that. It, like, shining in the darkness, that kind of mm-hmm. thing where you're, you're pushing forward into the screen. Right. We're talking cyberpunk. We're talking high fantasy. We're talking Legend of Zelda. If these are things that you're into, chances are you're going to get some sort of enjoyment out of this game, and it's definitely worth a look. If you're just a fan of the genre of brawlers, I recommend it. If you're more into the four-player party mode of a, of a brawler, this game's probably not going to hit that note for you. Although there's three characters to choose from, you only got two player positions you might not be into the half rpg elements that are in this game it might not do anything for you if you're looking for you know the run and gun type of brawler a good arcade game should be like a good punk album it should be short sharp and it should be so fast and fun that you kind of forget about its flaws right before it's over or you know like it's just that's kind of the thing this is more of a yes album Nicely put. I think going back to what we've talked about previously, the lack of moves is probably its biggest hindrance because I think the RPG, the shallowness of those elements could be forgiven if I could do more than just swing my sword. Yeah. And the game is definitely bloated as far as there's just too much there. I thought it was an important evolution in the uh, history of the arcade brawler, and I, you know that's why I wanted to touch on it. And I think there's something there of value, and I do think it is a uh, quality game. It's not something yeah, that's going to leave you frustrated. If you're interested in games like Dragon's Crown, this game is on that evolutionary tree. All right, so let me uh, flip over this cassette tape, and we'll listen to this week's Pro Player Tip. Okay, go. Uh, Blow Blair Blips. Don't confuse your level up meter for your health bar. Your health bar is under your player name, which I think is player one or player two, and your level up is to your left. When you're playing a game, your eyes are always going to be drawn to that level up. So don't think it's your life bar. And speaking of life bars, keep an eye on the boss's life bar, which will appear at the bottom of the screen. Several of the bosses will fall down. They look like they're dizzy, they're passed out, they look like they're ready to croak. But then they'll get right up again and start kicking your butt. So make sure their health is down to zero before you relax. 
or you'll be dumping two rolls of quarters into this game instead of just one. Also, on the key levels, the bosses will be multifaceted. You'll defeat the humanoid-type boss, and then you'll go against a crazy animal robot boss. The bosses also have a multiplier by their eight blocks of life. So, for example, the final boss has 60 times his eight bars of life, so 480 blocks of life. Remember to use your sliding dash move to get under some of the boss's projectiles. Getting behind the boss and bashing away isn't pretty, but it's very effective. And also remember to use your shield when your boss starts blasting around. And you also should use your shield in the speeder bike level. My final tip is to use the password save because I think you want to complete this title. There are different mechanics as you progress, including that speeder bike level, which is more of a speeder platform disc level. And there's also a really cool twist on the elevator style level. set number of enemies and then you go up to the next level etc but this time you're going down and uh, check it out the ending will also give you that warm japanese 16-bit era feel using still shots of artwork that's not used in the game which features character close-ups and event recaps and remember you may find life in death should i turn it off yeah that's thank you Excellent. Thank you for that. Let me remind everybody that uh, we need you to like, comment, and subscribe. It really uh, makes us feel good about ourselves. And you go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. And, hey, you do that, and, and we, we see it. We'll, go, we'll give you a mention on the show. Also, check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash WTG podcast. And you know we're on Twitter. You can tweet at us at We Talk Games. And now here's T.T. Schmookins with next week's We Talk Games Video Power Magazine Arcade Weekly Arcade Game Audio Clue. Hello, I am T.T. Schmookins. Here is next week's We Talk Games Video Power Magazine Arcade Weekly Arcade Game Audio Clue. Good luck, dudes. And now we'll give clues for next week's show. My clue for next week is, is this what Europeans call football? And my clue for next week is, yes, it's called football because you play with your fucking feet. (laughs) What could this game be about? (laughs) Well, we'll talk to you again next week with yet another fantastic... Wait, stop! Stop the presses! I forgot to mention that next week starts a whole new thematic month. That's right, back-to-back theme months. What's next week's theme? Okay, I'll tell you. (laughs) It is Monday morning stinkball. All month long, we'll be talking about nothing but sports titles. That's right, sports titles. I can hear everybody cringe. Don't worry, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have a blast. And uh, I can't wait to talk about the first entry into Monday morning stinkball. I hope you all join us. We'll talk to you again next week for another exciting episode of We Talk Games. Bye-bye.